Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com It's 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by Kenneth Mason from Equibus out of Chicago. We're going to be talking about uh, accounting for cannabis entrepreneurs. So let's just get right into it. Hey, Kenneth. What's up, hey, how you guys doing? What's going hey, on? Yo. Kenneth, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about what y'all are doing at Equibus? Of course, of course, I love to. It's what I, I love doing more than anything else. Um, <laughs> so um, I was done the CEO of Equibus, um, an accounting firm, a small accounting firm, pretty much with the community in mind, right? And so when I started the company, it was pretty much us trying to make a difference in underserved communities um, that blossomed into the cannabis industry after my personal stint with really trying to help with... Um, the in the industry from a social justice standpoint, I found myself becoming more and more involved. And then I quickly saw that there was a need because um, I spoke with folks who ran cannabis companies and they could not tell me any of the, they couldn't answer any of my questions when I, of course, geeked out about finances. And so I quickly saw an opportunity. But um, even with that, we still held tight to the, the heart of the company, which was uh, making an impact in um, our underserved communities. Awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and for tuning in. Don't forget to smash those likes and subscribe and get in touch with him. If you have some questions about cannabis accounting, we're going to go over quite a few of them. And we also have some uh, some news to cover, you know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what does he tag along accounting for good mean? So it still kind of plays into the the community aspect of um, why we even started. And so um, with that in mind, the good of the community is where the accounting for good comes from and how we wanted to uh, provide resources, the knowledge, and even some of the funding opportunities for the small business owners and, again, these communities that I grew up in, um, that a lot of the business owners that I know are in and where we saw businesses closed, open and closed, open and closed right back. And um, really wanted to be able to provide them with those resources. And so, again, the heart of everything that we do is our community. That's really cool, man. And like, uh, you know, uh, Illinois just handed out, and this is one of them. Uh, it's a very, it's not very cool. It's like, uh, you, you get it in a Word doc and you're like, wow. 
That's what a craft grower's license look like. That's <laughs> oh, what people man. have been trying so hard to get. And it's just in a Word doc, and it's valid for a year. But the community, as you mentioned, and so this is tied to a piece of real estate, and there's only 32 that got awarded so far. They picked mm-hmm. 40, but only 32 sent in the $40,000 application uh, uh, license fee. And so now there's all these communities that are out there that can really benefit from public-private partnerships and other types of programs that may, because like the, the people that won, they are needing the investment dollars. It's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you, you see that a lot. And that was kind of a concern that a lot of us had and a lot of folks who are applying had from the get-go when they the initial dates for um, when the licenses were supposed to be distributed or you know the winners were supposed to be picked, and obviously the the, the timeline from that what last year till to now, um, you have folks who were trying to hold on to real estate yep. and had leases and had to pay these landlords, but folks who qualified, especially with the social equity standpoint, from a social equity standpoint, they didn't have the funds to to hold on to these space, uh, spaces, and so um, it, it got pretty tight for a lot of people. And so some people actually said, "You know what? We can't do this." So next go around. So all well, the licensees, yeah. the all the applicants had to have uh, land, uh, actual title. Like that was my biggest fear here in Washington when we did um, licenses. Was I can't pay rent in, on a, on a gamble. I can't hold a thing and, and hope that this is going to be a. You know, it's bad enough. I'm trying to pay the rent for the kids. Exactly. Like exactly. Exactly. You know? And then not to be able to be in operations to even try to, you know, yeah. sell anything to make make that money up, right? Right. Yeah, it's something else. But now, like, the money finds you after you get the license. And so the social equity aspect of it, and maybe they don't, maybe they were capital poor before they got that email and then that one page word document that says they have a license. But now that they have that, people are knocking on their doors to get in. Uh, and then with the community as such an important part of your business, it's one of those things where the community was something that I wrote into the application very often. And I put that as like a member of the team as well. And now it's like, well, everybody's going to try to poach and move these licenses around. I'm like, hang on a second there, bro. Uh, you need to have the state say you can do that. You just can't right. say like, well, we're going to move it over here now. No, that's not what the deal was. What's right. your reason for moving it over there? Do you have have a reason and then if you want to move it you only have 90 days and so like you basically have to have a new facility ready to go and then move yeah Mm -hmm. everything has to be set in stone it's i mean i I think a lot of people thought that the the big well the only milestone was to get the license Um, there was a lot a lot to go into and i think a lot of us who who've been who've been around and, and worked with some other folks um, can can tell and just, well, you know, let them know. But a lot of folks thought that it was just getting a license and that was the biggest, the biggest hurdle. I'm like, there's a whole lot, whole lot left in the chamber. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kenneth, we just got the, in, in agreement we're talking and you're part of a, a winning application as well. So that that's the question, right? So you, 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 they won with the $40,000 that they were able to throw away at a guess and then <laughs> and then now they're millionaires but no the they're is, paper millionaires they right. aren't millionaires until the money's in the bank what? until the money's in the bank just because this is yeah. like again like this is between like six and ten million dollars and so not yet not yet 
you know, and that's really yeah. interesting that the state has done this. And now we have these community partnerships where it's like, well, are we going to be able to bring this business to these communities and make them a success story in those communities? There's like Jahan Gordon's our rep here in Peoria, and she had just made the news for getting a $10 million grant out of the $45 billion capital works projects. Wow. So now I'm like sitting there going like, hey, let's go get some of that money <laughs> for right over there. And then yeah. like, we're bringing business back. We just mm-hmm. need two, four, five. She asked for 10 million. We're not asking for 10. Jahan asked for 10. We just want $3 million. We just, we just want a couple. Yep. Seriously, yep. seriously. But how do you do that next step? So now you've had the property, you got the license, but how do you pull in that more equity? Because you need that for the, the, the dirt, for the seeds, for the farmers, for the employees that are going to uh, uh, weed and and, and and give nutrients to your plant. And then, you know, the, the transport, because eventually I know you you're an encompassing as far as like you're, you do the bookkeeping and you're doing accounting. Mm-hmm. And but the fundraising, how do we get to the three million now? Oh, so, uh two pieces to that so fortunately the the, the two uh, applications or licenses now um, they were they were well um, backed and funded uh, from a capital standpoint so they won't have any issues but for a lot of people and, and uh, Thomas kind of alluded to you once you have that paper people started coming out the woodworks to come find you yep. they were waiting for this I think you have some people who are traditional investors who were trying to get their hands on some of the licenses they couldn't do that so for them the next step was hey I want to invest in some of these companies who do um, get it and so I'm noticing that there were there are people who are asking me you know because on, well, most people might not realize this. You think the only people that would come to me, uh, our firm as an accountant, would be, you know, dispensary owners, uh, farmers, etc. But we also get investors who are like, look, I want to make sure that this company that I'm putting my money into, they have they're on their P's and Q's. Right. Um, and so we actually had people coming to us um, kind of just trying to act, get, you know, gauge and see what was going on so they can have an opportunity themselves to invest in some of these companies. It's Chicago, Chicago and area, Illinois. That's a, you know, it's a, it's a big market for them. And they, that's what they came in thinking. So it really wasn't hard and it hasn't been hard once you get, once you're at that point, especially in a place where we just now distributed these licenses, you had people that were waiting. And so um, to really answer your questions, as far as the next step, it really is, <laughs> I don't want to say picking, um, you know, picking investors, you still have to go about it the right way in terms of who um, are investing. But I, I've noticed a lot of people um, were already gauging um, and trying to build relationships with potential investors. Mm-hmm. Everybody has people now that are um, have people that are interested now. Right. Um, again, no money has been put in any bank account yet, but there are, are I don't think anyone that I'm aware of have had issues with people wanting to invest it's just getting to the next step of all right we have potential investors now what do we do now we can start talking about your term sheet and if you are one of those winners that needs one of these you can find me on ig at cannabis industry lawyer and then i'll call kenneth to check my math now uh one of the things is uh you know 
where does this valuation on the piece of paper being six to ten million dollars come from? Uh, that's interesting. And then once you actually see it in your financial models, and so when we we put a line item in our financial models for an EBITDA valuation, and we mm-hmm. do it for our EBIT evaluation from a 4.5 to a 6.5 multiplier. Uh, if you guys are following this, you might be able to get investors. Welcome to Canada Integration News. Yeah. But you yeah, made it this far. You're right. You made it this far, so uh, yeah. you're, you're in the right track. Yep. So um, how do people then structure or what types of structures would you advise? In fact, if we were spitballing here, just a couple of right. girls talking after school. How would you structure a capital infusion for these new license holders that are looking to help capitalize their their buildings and also round out the operational excellence that's on their team? Right, right, right. So, um, well, one, a lot of it you do have to go back to the drawing table with these investors because some of them are asking for specific things, right? And so some of them want to see specific things um, and um, that may deal with, again, the financial projections. They're starting to become more aware of like, hey, what is the industry uh, entity structure looking like? You know, I want to say maybe, you know, a handful of years ago, you had people that were throwing money at these companies without you know, doing their due diligence, right? Um, which is, was weird because these were traditional investors who in a normal, uh, in most industries, they would go through the gambit to make sure that this company is someone that they want to invest in, right? And so I think more people are um, being diligent <laughs> about it. And so they're, they're requiring like, hey, we need to know entity structure. We need to see who's all on your team. We need to see organization uh, structure and things like that. And so pretty much having a um, well put together business plan, which you should have after applying um, and, you know, entity structures, everything should be there, but um, structured in a way that you can present to the investors. And of course, show yourself in a good light. Um, investor deck pitches, having those financials. From my experience, people want to see the the first three years and then three to five years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so really making sure that you um, have those financials. I think that's one of the biggest things, um, the financials. They want to see, all right, well, how much money do you think you're going to be making in the next three years? Because yep. every investor wants a return on their investment. Do you help with the financial modeling at uh, your firm? Absolutely. That's, yep. that's, I feel like it's all we've been doing lately. Oh, um, me too. It's so much fun. Let's talk about because uh, I, I maybe after the show, I'll get in touch with you to work and participate on a financial model for a dispo because I'm uh, mine I, is clunky. I want a better input model for my financial model on my dispos. But uh, I like you got to get into it. Yeah, it gets, but that's how you do it. And then like one of the things that I like to do is I like to refresh my models to uh, take into consideration the diminution of the price of flour. So my mm-hmm. model started mm-hmm. 3250 for wholesale and they'll go down to 2200. Uh, now do your models like to do that? So yeah, so what, what I like to do in general though, I I like to have different scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. So we have um what we call the best case scenario which that but people like to see it makes them feel good. We have what we think is actually going to happen and not necessarily the worst case scenario, but not the best. Right. And, and it's um, you don't do as well as what we think is going to happen. But just to show um, and kind of give a perspective of where a business is possibly going to be in the next 
couple years, right? From a financial perspective. So I know you say you like to refresh it. And I'm I personally like to always update it. Even after the first draft, we have a um we continually update it because new information comes out. And if anyone had their eyes open for the last year and a half, stuff changes quite often and you can find yourself in the middle of a yeah. pandemic, which changes everything, right? And so um continually updating based on the current business environment. Right. But yeah, so they're always updating until we finally present to an investor. Yeah. And I like to the scenarios. Absolutely, man. And I like to have it like, so I'll put like, you know, my pricing for my collateral based firm. I'll be like, no, this is our Q3 pricing. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, and, and guys update your decks. And so like on the decks that we'll, we'll be talking with, you know, they'll have like a date and sometimes it's a month, but then also there's decks for different types of investors. Are you pitching for yeah. real estate? Cause you need to build a farm. That's a different pitch than you're trying to, you know, get the right operational talent and brand management talent in there so that you can differentiate your product. They, they usually are, different you know kettles of fish but yeah yeah it's, it's like you said like when you want to update the inputs the things that will change how much revenue what kind of expenses you have there's so there's so many different nuances to it but you it has to be included if you want to get a quality picture of what you think is going to happen this is why it's important you have either a cpa or a lawyer on your team i mean this is not your hippie grandpa's weed you know this is not you know i buy a qp i'm gonna break it up in ounces save one for myself mark up the other one's 25 percent, so it covers my own price and call it good i mean this is actual infrastructure of what business is you know i mean even what there's that recent irs confidential irs marijuana guy details audit procedures for uh, the agents to follow uh it was an mj biz daily do you guys mm-hmm. think like with that secret document you know the irs talking about like possibly do you think the 280 is gonna go away and this is gonna be easier for uh, businesses to happen it will become easier once uh Federally, um, it becomes legal. Um, I don't think at any point before then um, we're really going to see them let up. You know, they, I'm hearing you know they say that all right, as more more states become legalized, certain um, agencies aren't cracking down as much. I'm personally not seeing that. Um, in our experience with my team, we're not seeing that they are lessening up much. Um, but I don't think we're not going to have our be clear and free until a full federal legalization, which even at that point, I think we're still going to see more in terms of regulations. Right. I'm, I think that we're going to see more of them actually uh, trying to create more regulated rules and things like that in terms of the industry yeah i don't know if you guys are aware though like so like the irs has been involved in the cannabis industry somewhat like here in washington state when we were medical we have this huge chain called have a heart and there was actually a shakedown by an irs agent on this guy uh the owner for like a million dollars because they're like he's all like i know everything's in, in cash and uh you know i know you have this right regardless the guy did or didn't he was trying to be one of the gray areas out there when you don't mm-hmm. have a regulated market people are saying i'm a businessman i'm trying to give i'm trying to give you money right. you know and then uh the irs and, and it can be any arbitrary number then i'm sure now they probably have like you know there's a there's a more idea of what someone's pulling in but the thing is oh yeah. this guy actually how good <laughs> well like more like, the data reported from this cash industry on weed is so beautiful outside of alcohol <laughs> 
is so amazing, right, right, right. immaculate. The only other books that are this good are casino books. <laughs> because you have to track every dollar that comes in and goes out of that place. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. like, they know how much. Yeah, know. That's why it is the lowest hanging fruit. They're like, it's so we're talking in the, in the green room. If you're a grower out there and you're the social equity president, consider donating your salary back into the company and working for profits because your administration, a.k.a. trafficking, you yes. are going to have to pay double tax, IRC 280E tax mm-hmm. on your salary. So you might as well not take one or it sounds trash. may also be the harvest manager. And so like, <laughs> what are employee allocations? This is a very important topic for uh, oh, our absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. So, well, in order to answer that, you kind of got to take a couple steps back and we got to briefly explain 280E. It's the IRS code. It's a code in internal revenue um, where cannabis companies, essentially, because we're talking about cannabis, cannabis companies cannot deduct, have any deductions on for their taxes, right? No expenses. However, by looking at the definition of a 280E and the, um, the language is you're pretty much being taxed instead of on profits like a normal business, you're being taxed on gross receipts. So you're thinking, oh, my gross revenue. Well, the IRS defines gross receipts as, you know, all your your total revenue that you that you receive, the income you get less, um, <laughs> less any <laughs> less any cost of goods sold. Right. Yeah. So cost of goods sold are um, sold any cost related to being able to prepare a product for sale. Um, such as, you know, if you're a dispensary, you got to, well, if you're a, a cultivation farm, well, you need seeds in order to grow, right? Uh-huh. Well, those are cost of goods sold. Oh, 420. 420 somewhere, everybody. 420 somewhere. Take a minute. And if you like 280E sex talk, you know, check, like, and subscribe. Thanks for the plug, Miggy. I really appreciate it. But yeah, and so you have to allocate, is your employee COGS or ordinary and necessary expenses of which you are allowed no deduction for? And so like common and ordinary, what's the, what are the two, what's the buzzword in accounting lingo? Because we know COGS, but what's the other one? Is it, is it? ordinary and common or it's well generate a general and administrative expenses right Mm -hmm. so if you're say um well like a ceo that doesn't actually help but that's not a grower who's not back there actually um you know harvest helping harvest and trimming and doing all these different things and getting the plant ready for sale you're not, you know, you're just an administrative um, worker. You, you think to yourself, all right, I'm the CEO. I should be able to write this off. No, not quite. You make decisions. You don't necessarily get the product ready for sale. So you're not a cost of goods sold. You're a trafficker. You're a trafficker. Yeah. You're an administrative trafficker. Right. So are you cogs or are you trafficking, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. But that, that's just crazy, though. I mean, like the comparison for 280E, right, would be like, say, alcohol, for lack of a better one, um, like like a, like a brewery versus the grow, right? Like the brewery, they can probably write off all the gas they go and mm-hmm. and, and, and taxes probably on the way or whatever they incur uh, or, you know, the, the wheat and barley, right? right. They, they, everything, everything, because they're not a 
federally uh, illegal or scheduled drug, right? Yeah. Um, so they can write off everything that's a business-related expense. Um, a dispensary can't write off their advertising expense, right? Damn. They can't write off all of their rent, all of the utilities. They can't write off, um, you know, merchandise. You say you got, um, you know, hats and you sell whatever it is, you know, lighters with your logo on it. You can't write that stuff off. Well, now, Tom, you've said, though, you kind of can, though, but you have to layer it like a hospital. Is that what you were saying? Well, like- managed services agreements. But what he was just describing is your IP brand management company. And gotcha. so. You would have a name, you would have trademarks, mm-hmm. you would have genetics, you would have uh, contracts with, who's your favorite rap artist from Chicago, Ken? Yeah. I, I, I want to say it, but it's like, ah, he's been, he's been screwing up less. You know, oh, okay, my favorite rapper of all time, Kanye West. I, okay, Kanye. you have an exclusive <laughs> agreement to make Kanye West social equity <laughs> weed. That is IP that goes, and that you might need to pay a re, a reasonable royalty fee. Kanye, please don't call me, but you know you can you can hit me at Ken if you lawyer, and then we'll follow up with Ken. We'll make sure it's papered real well. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's like I'm sorry, we're sold out. Why? Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. There's there's an example of that though of a multi-tiered producer who's also involved in other stuff with the swag. It's cookies, right? Like Burner has Ooh, the yeah. weed brand out there, but he had a clothing brand out first. Uh, and then they're yeah. all kind of integrated into like the one. That's what I want to do with Brax Family Agriculture. So Brax Family Ag, and then it's just I get to be Puff Daddy, and I'm just like writing deals, and then like no, no, you need this brand, and okay, now we're gonna make sure that you get this type of royalty for mm-hmm. that, and then all the growers, you can kind of appeal to their um, egos, be like, I want, don't you want to hustle your own uh, strain, bro? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, the the interesting part about that with obviously, you know, people that. You want to build your brand. So, of course, that comes in different forms and you have the merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the IRS pretty much is saying, well, if that's connected, connected to the, the, the business of, again, you're trafficking drugs, right? Then that's considered part of the business. Um, we call in the accounting world, we, we look at the business activity from the perspective of substance over form, you know, substance, what's actually happening versus the form. You have people that say, all right, we have two different companies, one selling merchandise, one selling weed. They're both under the same roof. They're both two feet apart. (laughs) You know, is it two different companies? Are they two different companies? Well, the IRS is like, are we going to look at the substance, not the form, the form of being the two entities? No, we're looking at what's going on. Now, with some of those companies, like, say, Cookies, um, they're able to say, like, we have a legitimate business selling merchandise. We're making millions of dollars off of X, Y, and Z. It's profitable. Um, This business could stand alone all by itself if, you know, aside from, you know, selling marijuana. I don't know. Yeah, 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 no. But this yeah. is a case from 2018 tax court that Kenneth is talking about, and he's absolutely right. And so it's that reasonableness, you know. And so, like, if I'm sitting there with Brax Family Ag just inking deals and making sure that the royalties are all coming from the sale of weed, tax court's going to look right through it and say, no, you're trafficking, bro. That's crazy, though, about the reasonableness that you guys are talking about as far as, like, you have to first be successful 
at one thing, mm-hmm. and then you can do what the fuck you want after that. Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> like seriously though, like we have here in, in Washington State uh, a, a Dab Stars, they, and then now they're multi-state and everything. But the guy started off as a T-shirt company. Like I know him. Like like I was like, oh, that's a cool logo you got, bro. I don't know if it's gonna go anywhere. Motherfucker's a millionaire now. Like like you know, because he's he's MSO multi you know uh, deals and, and licensee for a really good name. Like that started out as a T-shirt. Like it's just crazy that you have to show fruition first before you mm-hmm. can say i'm you know like I, I, i'm why can't i be both why can't i be budweiser and coke and <laughs> i mean it, it's I think just, that's why branding is important man that's i think yeah. that's part of the name of the game you want to you have to plan financially but if you want to win it's, it has to be a long-term game you have to look at a long term and branding is going to be what takes you there but you know irs they don't care about the branding they don't care about x y and z they want to look at wait how much money we know you owe us right and how can we get that back but also like hey again that their reasonableness right is this a company that can stand on its own i want to say there are there were companies who were trying to write off most of their cost of goods sold or not cost of goods sold, a lot of the expenses to, again, let's say that merchandise company, right? They want to say, hey, most of the, maybe the utilities or rent um, is going on the financials of the merchandise company. And so again, the IRS is trying to find, you know, again, Tom said, low hanging fruit. There's no real differentiation between those two companies. They're under the same roof selling the same stuff. You're just trying to outsmart the IRS who's been in this game long enough to, to know yeah. that this is happening. Yeah. They caught Capone, remember? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember, look- he didn't go down for <laughs> what we know he did, but, yeah. you know. Luckily, they're IRS. under staff right now. <laughs> Oh, the IRS hung up on me today. And no. so, like, I had to, I, I got a lease for my uh, company, you know, have a car so we can drive to the trade shows. And uh, and they're like, oh, we need your EIN letter. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at my files. I'm like, gosh, where is I know it's in here somewhere. I eventually found it. But, you know, I'm like, I'll just contact the IRS and get myself another IEN letter. It's, it won't take me that long. Uh, the IRS... You go to a web page and the IRS tells you to call a phone number and then you call the phone number and the t- IRS hangs up on you. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's, didn't that's you America. Go to the website again? That's me. <laughs> you know, I had to make a couple calls, of course, last week. And it was like, hey, you can visit the website. I'm like, well, I got the number from the website. What are you talking about? It, it's a never ending loop. I love it. <laughs> I love American <laughs> customer <laughs> service. <laughs> You got to know all the zero, well, one through nine different um, options before you can figure out, before you just decide to choose any one so you can speak with someone that can hopefully point you to the right direction. Yeah, well, let's let's help out these new cats that are getting licenses. And there's going to be a, a lottery. Basically, I believe we've taped this for Sunday or is this a Sunday show? And so there's another lottery, another 55 licenses hit. There's probably going to be another 60 uh, grows later. I'm not sure how many infusers. So um, let's talk about, you know, next steps. If you were in their shoes right now, and you kind of are, it sounds like you're affiliated with one of the growers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So um, one, you, you 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 need to assess your own situation, whether or not you have the capital, right? Um, or if you don't, you need to go start, you know, looking out for those investors. But if you are a funder or if you have those potential investors lined up, dude, it's so important that you do two things. One is you have the right team around you, right? Um, I think a lot of people 
Um, I think in business in general, they get in not really um, anticipating all of the different areas that you kind of need some level of expertise in. You need to um, have some awareness of the different compliance issues, especially in cannabis. You have to get to have the financial expertise. A lot of entrepreneurs don't. Um, you know who do? <laughs> CPAs, accountants, etc. They have the financial expertise. But um, it, it's critical to have types of people on your team that are aware, that can continue to focus specifically on those issues. So I would say in short, is making sure you have the team together, that everyone has the responsibility. Because, so, well, theoretically, you would have had it already when, you, you know, the application and things like that. Um, but um, I think really honing in on getting your team together. And from that standpoint, um, starting to build out your, your procedures and policies for how you're going to actually operate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you made a great point, though, of having people knowledgeable because, and again, with, with having an accountant and a lawyer here, but also, like, when you talk about the actual grow, the physical place that's going to be built, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to have to get built to code, and you're going to have power requirements for all the lights you add and all this other stuff that you add, you know, and then that place is going to get inspected again, you know, not just by the code, but by the whatever governing bureau you guys got in any mm-hmm. state. But uh, um, what, though, to get to that point, you know, what are your financial options? Like you guys are in financial circles, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, there's no federal, there's no legal, uh, or not, not legal, but uh, there's no uh, <laughs> traditional ways as far as the right. banking goes and everything like that. How do, how, do, how do we get angel investors or how do we reach out to these people? Dude, so that that's pretty much uh, what I'm seeing is the, the team. So- get funded, right? Private investors, private lenders, because you have some people that are um, looking to just lend it out and it kind of take place of the bank, so to speak, right? Um, They don't want to invest long-term as an, um, you know, having share of equity or anything. They're like, hey, we want interest on these payments, et cetera, et cetera, and they're private. Um, Crowdfunding, um, I see people actually, they're, you know, some people, I guess, who are in, in, uh, financially well-off circles who have groups of friends or families, um, family who are able to invest. And so they kind of go through a um, presenting to the family, so to speak, and they um, get a group family together and like, hey, this is the plan. This is what I'm doing. Yep. And those who come from good stock, I guess. You know um, what they call those really rich people? What do they call them? Though? Family offices. The family offices. Jesus. They call them family <laughs> offices. <laughs> they let everybody in the family uh, works there. They're trying to make money, man. Which I cannot. But yeah, so um, in terms of finding those people, uh, um, you, what I've suggested, all right, and so I don't know what's the best case, but what I've suggested and what I've seen work because LinkedIn to some people's surprise is a gold mine for our industry. One, they're not going to delete your account <laughs> if you're in the cannabis industry, <laughs> for starters. Yeah. Second, every most professionals, if not all of them, are on LinkedIn. And then, obviously, investor-type professionals are on there as well. And they're in different groups. Because um, I actually have a lot that are uh, reaching out to me um, pretty frequently because, you know, they look, oh, a cannabis accountant. He must have cannabis clients. And so they're on LinkedIn. Um, they're there. You can search them. It's pretty pretty easy to find them um, and, you know, give them a spiel. But 
I'm finding that they're looking for you guys. They're looking for the license holders. So um, putting yourself out there on LinkedIn, for example, mm-hmm. um, making this, making it known that um, you guys are license holders um, and that in the and wording in the right way that you're open for investments. Building a team. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they're doing more vetting since you're being hit more? Like, like I joke that, like, I, I think it's ridiculous that MedMen's still in business and Blizzarian got money and High Times keeps nickel and dying everybody. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, the potential is out there and all these people just squandering money away. It's throwing money away. Absolutely. I don't get, like, MedMen, that, that is, it's almost baffling. <laughs> There's a lot of real estate they, money out there, though. Like they a, made they made weed appeal to people that were already investing in real estate. There's trillions of dollars of real estate. So if you could make them wrap their head around that, I could see them throwing stupid amounts of money, and then yeah. yeah. And we're kind of talking about this earlier. Like um, you know, you have people who are just so wrapped up in. I don't even know who coined the term, but there's the green rush, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have their minds so wrapped up, I think, in trying to be one of the early or, you know, people oh, that, no. that make it. Yeah, yeah, for you're missing yeah. out. So the normal um, due diligence that they would take before they invest in someone um, or a company, they're almost like, screw it. I just want to, you know, give you my money. And I, I've seen people who are well known um, that we all probably know who um, have tossed money at a company while doing any of the due diligence, then come out and it's like to some of us accountants and say, hey, no, I'm losing my money. What's going on? Can you come help X, Y, and Z? And you're just sitting there like, you're you. And you mean to tell me that now once that you say, hey, do you have this in place? Um, can we see who's on your maybe a board of directors if you have a corporation? Who who do you guys um, yeah. or like can we see some quality financials, et cetera? They just say, here, here's my money. You have a license here. And it's just like, seriously, I mean, it's positive for the person with the license. But, you know, in terms of making doing a you know, you do diligence. Yeah, it's I just a- figure if you if you make after seven figures, you don't know how to use Google. I just figured that. I just don't <laughs> no, know. No, it's it's very strange. Like uh, Kenneth's right because uh, I'll have clients that'll come then they, then they want to sue, so they haven't talked to their accountant about the mm-hmm. financial wisdom of it, uh, and now it's gone, and so they want to sue, and then they're like, "I'm gonna have to charge another fifty thousand dollars on this one." Like, how much did you give them? We got to go get that back. That's gonna take right. some time. Yeah, takes some time. I yeah. think I need another meal. <laughs> yeah. But it's just baffling that you'll see. And people will do hundreds of thousands of dollars of errors. And they're like, well, you know, I saw him. I'm like, what do you mean you saw him? Yeah. <laughs> he exists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he had an internet webpage made out of Wix. You know, he must have been legit. <laughs> <laughs> it still has the Wix in the, you know, some of the website. You know what I'm saying, the actual yeah. address. <laughs> right. <laughs> got like one Facebook, ten, 10 Facebook pages. Like, that's the thing about cannabis is there's so much potential. And then its potential's mm-hmm. dying off. But there was a lot of scams yeah. beforehand, a lot of yeah. medical scams, a lot of recreational scams. Some of them are still going on, Medmen. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I think some, you know, some people are, you know, like scammers. Not that I know some scammers, but maybe, I, you know, I know some folks. I but um, they're, they're, they're looking at <laughs> make it quick, get a quick dollar quick, and they know they can get away with it and get out quick, you know? And so, I mean, they have an opportunity, so they're doing it. It's just you have people who are throwing so much and then throwing more into something that clearly is a huge red flag. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I am sometimes going like, you know, I hear a lot of good things about mixed light. Oh, premium indoor, premium indoor. I'm like, oh, fine, premium indoor. But, you know, mixed light is evidently cheaper and faster. And, like, you know, it evidently makes some good cannabis. Right, right, premium indoor, premium indoor. All right, right. so you know, uh, we're a few million dollars light on the build-out budget. Ah, oh, mixed <laughs> light, mixed light. Ah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's fun. And so, like, what types of things do you need to do when you're onboarding a new client for a dispensary to help with their bookkeeper? So it depends on are they starting up or have they been in business already? Because if they've been in business 9.999 times out of 10, they need some cleanup, some heavy cleanup. And they're late on their tax return, which I don't even know why. I feel like once you get into the industry, you should already know that there's almost like a target on your back. Right? <laughs> so the first thing you should do um, is even if you're not ready to get um, someone who's doing the day to day um, weekly accounting, et cetera, you know, find some type of financial consultant. Um, but to answer your question, onboarding, that's what we do. We, we first need to look and see how much needs to be cleaned up. Right. And then we start helping implement those policies, internal control procedures, which everyone should have right uh, everyone needs to have those internal control procedures who's making the if you have a bank account the deposit or who's counting the cash or who's putting it in the vault the safe whatever um this is going to help you keep yourself from getting not only in trouble with the government who's going to be asking for you know you to keep track of whether it's through metric or whatever to keep track of everything you need to make sure you keep track of your money yourself because um theft is a thing right and so we kind of lay the groundwork we start off by um laying the foundation of your, your policies your procedures simultaneously with cleaning up if it needs to be uh needs to be done but implementing those procedures kind of um you know making sure our own the way we do things is being introduced and that we get on the same paid so that our job is done properly as well because what's the point of um, some financials if you don't read it you don't understand it and you don't use it to make better decisions when you clean up the books do you ever find like holy shit dude how did you even make buy in life <laughs> well when, sometimes when I clean up the books I'm like where is everything <laughs> <laughs> Here's my records. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I got uh, receipts in my pocket. Dude, Hold on. Dude, I, I, I wish I had some receipts sometimes. It's like, oh, well, we didn't really, we don't know where this is at, where this is at. Oh, and no, we got to get up on QuickBooks quick. But then, like, that's the other thing. You know that. And so then banking becomes even an issue where you're going to be paying mm-hmm. uh, uh, quite a handsome fee per month uh, while you're all, it's all on the outflow right now, you know? And so like, if you want that account, that's cool. Okay. Now I got to go build that. Now I got to go get that. And so I'm just, you know, telling everybody that I can talk to, it's like, well, let's get operational. You know, let's, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah, and then yeah. let's make some cannabis and then let's build out and let's be reasonable people. But um, that gives me another thing. Like some people, they say that this type of cannabis license, the craft grow, doesn't have the financial models to succeed. What do you think about that? Um, I think there's 
there's definitely a, a, a large group of people, mainly folks who are in, into cannabis well before the legalization, who are, are seeking that, that, you know, specific type of weed, that good stuff, the craft grow. I think there is um, uh, the room for them to grow. Um, however, it, it comes down to them really, at least, all right, let me, I'm going to pull out the, in my experience with some of the folks that I worked with in, in the craft space, because um, some have not done so well, but some have done extremely well. And I think part of it is their location and where they are. Um, I think that's a huge thing that some folks don't um, maybe think about or realize that plays a role into, you know, how well they do is the region that they're in, um, where they are locally. Um, but again, we talked about branding before. That's a huge piece. Now, some people just want some some good weed. They don't want, they know what good weed is too. You know what I mean? You have some people who, oh, I'm going to buy some weed I haven't smoked since, you know, 2004. And they can, they'll buy some stuff from a dispensary and not think twice. We have folks who are, you know, I need the good stuff. And so I think that there is um, a market for sure. Um, it's tough, but I think um, in my experience that some have excelled where they are in terms of the region and then doubling down on their branding and making sure that, hey, we're those guys. We got it like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the branding and then having that reason to stand out and differentiate yourself. So you're selling your product. That's the real mm-hmm. important thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. great. That you have all this canopy space and your financial models say you're going to be pooping out this much cannabis and this much mm-hmm. uh, extract. That's cool. And there's your price per pound. Well, that pound sell. That's the real trick. Well, that's going to be, you know, across all of all the different verticals, all the different industries, will it sell, you know? And so um, that, and that, you know what, and thinking about that, that's why sometimes the financial modeling beforehand is kind of tricky. You're like, all right, because everybody thinks that they're going to sell everything every time, you know, from the get-go. And it's like, ah, let's, let's bring it back some, let's get into reality. I know, I mean, I know some local drug dealers who, you know, then couldn't sell everything. Let's just say that. So Nobody funny. wants their runs. Uh, <laughs> but you exactly. guess your market is only still what? How many producers? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's in the teens. There's like 20 licenses. I think. Well, now there's there's, no, there's yeah. yeah. Well, the craft growers still don't count, but like there was only 22. But I think there was like 19 license holders. So it's, um, it's just it's just a few people. Right, I was going to say, with the lack of variety, though, of course the shit's going to sell. But, like, if you were actually in a real right. competitive market, and that's where I think it comes down to in the end, is, like, all these people should be getting ready for federal legalization because it's going to happen. Like, get right. your books yeah. in that order. Get yeah. your, your your business affairs in that order. Cause get GMP certified. GMP, <laughs> all the, product, the proper uh, manufacturer requirements. I mean, this is what cannabis is. It's a it's an mm-hmm. edible consumption. Uh, you know, it's almost for, like food, you know? Yeah, F- you F- need more of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's a long term. And I agree with saying before, it's a long term game and a long term play. Like this isn't just a get rich. This is definitely not a get rich quick thing, unless you're those in the beginning where you're just you won the license <laughs> and, the and you're gone. And like you yeah. know, thank you. I'll, I'll take the million dollars. I don't know. Right. What yeah. right? Are you investing a million dollars? I'll take it. Then you don't see them anymore. Right. Well, you're right. I mean, like, as a, in the beginning, you, you didn't win a million dollars. You won a million dollar, you know, boat with a hole in it that you got to 
yeah. build up until until it starts you know producing and staying afloat because mm-hmm. you know as an agricultural product you know between uh if say you hire the, the, the wrong farmer now you got spider mites in your first grow and no one and, and then decided to vacuum it off you know i mean just like horrible shit <laughs> you know you don't know who's out there what's going on yeah i can imagine so when the hell, let me just vacuum this all up i saw that it uh, there's a comic strip i follow and this guy in boston there's a boston grower that did that no name for name but some uh-huh. asshole did that just like people who use eagle uh 2020 and all the other <laughs> stuff that we don't like you know there's yeah. people doing the wrong shit yeah. and true. doing the right shit can be quite expensive very so, um more yeah, what, than yeah, you know what? What licenses uh, do you like the most? Which which uh, types of licenses do you think have the most uh, possibility for success? Um, so I think it's a lot that plays a role into that. Um, again, like we we mentioned the, the the regional aspect. We we talked about. Well, I don't think we talked about it. So it depends also on your state. You get uh, each state. Um, there's differences in the way you're taxed. There's differences in um, the different compliances, the standards you have to abide by. Um, so and obviously for me, I'm thinking about it a lot in the finance from a financial standpoint. So I'm thinking about 280E, which, you know, hopefully in, um, soon won't even be a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, it is. And it's a reality. So I, I think about that overall. I like cultivations because you get to write so much <laughs> offense at cost of goods sold <laughs> compared to, like, say, uh dispensary or something right mm-hmm. um i know i know we talked about deliveries but well know. yeah let's let's help the people watching though like we kind of touched on cogs and here's how you can take your delivery license because so far only nine people have punched that ticket but they have until february mm-hmm. to do so and there's like over 100 winners if you run it like fedex mm-hmm. in the sense that you aren't trafficking at all you are just providing courier services for what mm-hmm. weed but like you're not trafficking in weed, you're just you're moving it from place to place. So you mm-hmm. can try to classify it that way to see if you can completely avoid IRC 280E. However, audits take a few years to process. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> so, and that's something that's funny because it, you would get through a tax season and folks are like, oh, I didn't get out of it. It must have worked. No, no, no. I they I've seen it. And they are still coming two, three years later, right? And like, yep. hey, hey, buddy, we need to see some receipts. We need to see X, Y, and Z bank statements. We got a bank account. All these different things. They're still coming. And um, I think as more states legalize, sometimes we we aren't realizing that 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 still is something that we have to continue to um, be aware of and make that a part of our our planning. Yep. Yeah, it's no longer buying a QP anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find, follow, get in touch with y'all at uh, Equibus? Once upon a time, you could uh, follow us on Instagram before Instagram shut us down. Not too long oh, my ago. goodness. <laughs> yes, and they are allowing us to use Equibus again in a second, in, a, in another account that we're trying to start. So we're still battling that, but LinkedIn, um, Equibus, 
Facebook, Equibus, E-Q-U-I-B-I-S. You can follow me on um, Instagram, daddy underscore CPA. Not trying to be weird. I'm actually a father of two. Yeah, so you can follow us then. You can come to our website, equibusaccounting.com. Connect with us. We got some blogs, a lot of good stuff that you can read. You can use to prepare for a startup and cannabis or just to, you know, get your finances together. Awesome. Thank you so much again. And thanks for tuning in. Everyone, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Wednesday. Woo.